What is up, guys? This is Stan R. Mitchell, and this is the August 2nd edition of The View from the Front. Hope everyone's having a great week. Um, I know some of you will be hearing this on Tuesday, and some of you will be hearing this on Wednesday. Either way, I'm glad to have you here. For those who don't know, every Tuesday and Friday, I discuss military and defense news, as well as some history, motivation, and wisdom, and I do all of this from a moderate perspective. The Tuesday posts are available to everyone, but they'll be delayed by one day unless you're a paid subscriber. Uh, the thinking behind this is that, you know, this might encourage some folks to support what we're doing here if they can, but it also doesn't really penalize you if you can't make that $5 a month uh, payment. At most, you're waiting an additional day for the content. But I do want to keep the option there and the incentive as well for you to support this effort with a paid subscription if you can. Uh, there are several reasons for this. First, I believe in the mission of this, of trying to highlight what our military troops are doing around the world, while also trying to better educate Americans about looming hotspots. We want to avoid those places we should avoid. We also want to avoid unplanned mission creep, such as we did in Afghanistan um, when we went from removing the Taliban and pursuing Osama bin Laden to then trying to create a thriving democracy in one of the poorest, least educated parts of the world. I could also mention our invasion of Iraq in 2003, or I could go back to the Vietnam War when we initially would not support the French to, uh, or not fully support to help defend South Vietnam. And then once the French left, we decided that suddenly it was the most important thing in the world to prevent South Vietnam from falling. And from there, from the dominoes, you know, supposedly falling around the world. All of these foreign policy decisions matter. They mattered when they were made, and there are ones being made now that matter. And as someone who has um, you know, grown up with a strong belief in this country and who volunteered to carry a rifle into dangerous places and who has done so, this is a uh, subject and a topic that I'm super passionate about. The second reason for offering and uh, you know, trying to incentivize paid subscriptions is that I know that as our support grows, so too can the depth, the length, and the reach of the show. And this, you know, given the mission I just mentioned above, is super important to me. And it's also something that it's hard to achieve while continuing to work a full-time job as I'm currently doing, and not to mention trying to be as awesome of a husband and stepdad as I can, you know, possibly be. But uh, that's the second reason. And then finally, I also know that... Um, what we're covering here isn't a broad topic. It's not something that 80% of the country is excited to hear about. Uh, foreign policy news is a very small niche subject. It's not, uh, I'd be kidding myself if I believed that I can somehow single-handedly make half the country care about it. So for all of these reasons, I need your support. If, if you're a free subscriber, I'd love it if you can tell others who might be interested or share some of the podcasts from time to time. And for those who can and who really believe in what we're trying to do, I'd greatly appreciate it if you throw a few bucks in the hat. It's $5 a month to uh, subscribe. And if you do so, you'll get the Tuesday edition without the one-day delay. And you'll also eventually get some in-depth single-topic podcasts that I've been wanting to do, which will only go out to uh, paid subscribers. Uh, but I don't want to share too much about those. I'm kind of a big believer in under-promise, over-achieve. So if you're going to subscribe, you know, please do so because you support what we're doing. And you want to be a part of this community. And with all of that out of the way, uh, let's get to the news. We will start this edition with uh, Taiwan and with China. Uh, several little things 
to knock out on that real quick. Uh, coming uh, speaker visit potentially by uh, Nancy Pelosi, which looks like it's going to happen from the latest I've heard, although no one's really nailing that down as of the recording on Tuesday. But she's expected to arrive Tuesday evening. Um, but as of the recording, China was moving a carrier nearby, and it was uh, everything was kind of up in the air, and the tension and drama has been building on that. The first interesting thing I wanted to mention was that uh, Taiwan recently held the largest military drill in the nation's history. And I've shared a uh, video of that in the source notes if you want to check it out. It's actually pretty incredible. And um, a few things to mention about that drill is they literally dug very deep trenches in the middle of some of their cities. Um, they rang their warning sirens so that people would know where to evacuate. Uh, they simulated rockets attacks. They literally cleared the streets so that people, basically uh, like a massive war um, simulation. And there was no, oh, I'm headed to work or whatever. That You could see some people on the streets and like police and, and military folks are getting them off the streets. So it was actually a very impressive uh, nationwide drill for Taiwan um, or whatever the right word that Taiwan would call itself. That's obviously a little complicated. But uh, I can't really imagine anything even close to uh, that happening in America without a lot of angry people. But they had uh, medics treating uh, fake injuries. They also did naval drills. They did air-to-air -air drills with their Air Force. It was uh, impressive. And if you go to the source notes, it's so impressive that uh, I literally took a screenshot of the trenches they dug. And I counted them. There's roughly, I'm talking 18 to 20 foot, uh, or 18 to 20 uh, deep or depth of sandbags on both sides, and they even had vertical axes to hide men and ammunition. I mean, these are like impressive, impressive uh, trenches, and so it, they're calling it a drill. I'm sure it was a drill. I don't know if they're leaving the trenches in place, but uh, they are not messing around on preparing for a potential attack from China, so very impressive. If you got a couple minutes to look at the video, I think you'll uh, you'll you'll be impressed. The next item I wanted to share was that, uh, you know, we have discussed in previous uh, episodes that uh, there's been some gray area on what the position of the United States is with President Joe Biden, Biden saying that um, we would obviously defend Taiwan and basically edging into some gray area that changes uh, U.S. policy. And then immediately after he would say these gaffes or these statements, uh, folks from the White House would immediately say there's been no change. Well, I wanted to share a little bit of audio from a spokesperson for the Pentagon. Uh, and in it, he said, uh, and this was yesterday, that the U.S. government opposes any change of the status quo from either side. And he even added that America does not support Taiwan independence. So there you have it. That is the latest position of our government. And um, he said that as crystal clear as he could. That was stated by John Kirby. He's a spokesperson for the uh, Pentagon, one of the highest, and um, a former admiral in the Navy. So that is the position as of yesterday. And um, we'll see if there's any creep on that position uh, from here moving forward. I did also place that in the source notes. If you do want to go listen to that, it's all of 15 to 18 seconds. So 
you can see it crystal clear, and he's literally reading from a binder and flips the page as he reads the statement. So that is definitely the on-paper position of America as uh, Speaker Pelosi heads toward probably Taiwan. On the matter of um, what Taiwan's position is and what it should or shouldn't do and how China views that, I wanted to share a thread from Dr. Taylor uh, Fravel. He's a professor of political science at MIT. Um, he's also the director of their uh, security studies program and studies international rela relations. He's got a focus on uh, China and East Asia. And he's also the author of a book called uh, Active Defense, China's Military Strategy Since 1949. Uh, Dr. Fravel uh, granted us permission to, uh, or granted me permission to read the entire thread. It's about seven or eight tweets or so. And uh, it's really, um, it, it's, it's quite a uh, read. So if you'll bear with me just a moment, I'll read this. Dr. Fravel says, uh, he starts it with, how will China respond after setting it up, you know, with a little bit about the situation for those who don't know that Speaker Pelosi is visiting. Um, he says, a few things to bear in mind. First, since last fall, after Biden's two gaffes in October, senior Chinese leaders have expressed elevated concern about changes in the U.S. quote, one China, end quote, policy and U.S. policy toward Taiwan. Um, he quotes a, uh, a Chinese official as saying in last October that the U.S. was pursuing a fake one China policy. Uh, and then he talked about that um, the president of China, Xi Jinping, that he has twice warned uh, President Biden in separate virtual meetings, quote, not to play with fire, end quote, over Taiwan. Uh, Dr. Fravel provides a link to a BBC story on that. Um, and then he said he continues, thus, China will likely believe it needs to restore its credibility and bolster its red lines over Taiwan and to deter further erosion of U.S. policy. Dr. Fravel also points out that the PLA, which is the People's Liberation Army of China, is nearing the peak of its annual training cycle and that many units are active and in the field and they could easily be tasked to undertake Additional operations, he links to a, a story from Yahoo uh, News, which talks about their uh, forces already out at, in the field or at sea. Um, he continues by saying that the People's Republic of China's Ministry of Defense stated on July 26 that the Chinese military will absolutely not sit idly by. He quotes that. He also links to an article uh, that has that from their uh, Ministry of Foreign Foreign Affairs, um, because they also repeated that statement. Um, so with all that in mind, he makes a few points. Uh, one, the response will almost certainly include, from China anyway, a military component, most likely a show of force in the first instance, such as live fire exercises, a much greater military presence within the Taiwan Strait, uh, even missile tests. Um, two, the response will also include economic and diplomatic actions probably mostly targeting Taiwan. Three, he says the response will likely unfold over days, if not weeks, but will likely start after Pelosi departs Taiwan. Four, he says the goal from China will be to underscore resolve without sparking es escalation, but the likely prominence to the military component will include the potential for miscalculation. Uh, he says there are also significant U.S. naval assets in the region at the moment. 
Um, and then he continues by saying, of course, there are many unknowns at this point, both Pelosi's schedule, whether the visit will be described or portrayed as an unofficial one. Um, and then also, what does uh, Speaker Pelosi say in Taiwan? And he uh, ends by saying that there's also a good chance that China's efforts will likely backfire and lead to redoubled efforts, especially in Congress, for uh, America to do even more for Taiwan. He also links to an article about that from the Washington Post. Um, so a great thread from uh, Dr. Fravel, and I appreciate him letting us read that entire thing. I think it's incredibly insightful. I have the thread in the source notes, and if you want to follow uh, Dr. Fravel, he's great to follow on Twitter. Always commenting on Asia, China, uh, etc. And as a, again, uh, like I said, he's got a book out about the history of the uh, Chinese army and some of the uh, changes it's made in the past few decades as it's uh, continued to change itself. So with all that being said, we'll see how that plays out with the Speaker Pelosi's visit, um, assuming she does it, which it looks like she probably will, and also um, how how China responds. Um, in previous podcasts, I used a thread or two and some info that some of the responses will be more immediate. But after reading uh, Dr. Fravel's thread, I think the safer course will probably be for China to uh, play this kind of in a longer game. But we'll see. Um, I've definitely presented every side that I've seen on what may or may not happen. And um, hey, I'm proud to know that our listeners, um, we know as much or more than probably the average American who has no idea um, what's going to happen when she st uh, stops there. With that, let's move from uh, China and Taiwan to Ukraine and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Probably the biggest news out of Ukraine right now is the first shipload of grain has left Ukraine. Uh, we've talked a little bit about a deal that was uh, brokered between Turkey and Russia and Ukraine and some of the West. Um, that first ship has left uh, Ukraine. I got video in the source notes. Um, the Economist and many other news sources have reported on it. And I've even uh, shared a map from an analyst who shows that the, um, the ship is leaving the area of Odessa. It's crossing the Black Sea and uh, headed toward Turkey, um, and from there it'll be able to reach uh, further safety. Uh, this happened, started happening um, yesterday on Monday, so the ship has made it quite a ways away and so far hasn't hit any mines, so that's all great news for sure. The second thing I wanted to make sure that we talked about uh, in regards to Ukraine is that um, we've talked about the Ukrainians have been hitting a, uh, a bridge across from uh, Kherson. There was two. Mostly of late, I've heard them just talking about one, and now even that one has apparently been um, cut across with uh, rocket fire so that it's no longer usable. And I've got in the source notes um, from a Navy SEAL that's an analyst as well, um, he shared video. There's a uh, The Russians are now using what would you would call a pontoon ferry. Uh, it's basically like a small boat hooked up to a few... Um, floating containers that can hold, you know, maybe uh, 10, 15 vehicles, and they're ferrying back and forth these vehicles. And um, so that's a pretty big deal. He explains, he's a, a SEAL team um, commander. Uh, he says kind of the obvious, which is that the uh, Russian 42nd Army uh, just cannot possibly be resupplied by this flimsy uh, pontoon bridge, and that... Um, you know, the Ukrainians know the position of this. They've got it pre-targeted. 
And so, you know, it's implied that the Ukrainians may hit this at any time. This is clearly good news for uh, those who are wanting Ukraine to win. And um, uh, I didn't I didn't manage to save the tweet. I try to share all the tweets that I save or mention so that uh, you can follow them. But uh, in my reading of Ukraine, uh, one analyst made a good point, which is that um, with the Dnipro River behind Kherson, he was just talking about again that as his bridges got shot down, that it's not a very good defensive position for the Russians. And he was again talking about the fear that the Russian soldiers must be feeling because uh, they're they're pretty much isolated at this point. There's there's not going to be a way for them to run. Speaking just for myself, I'd love to see a major offensive to the south near Kherson. Uh, and honestly, I, I feel like a uh, just from everything I've read that like one well-trained, well-supplied battalion or two in a strong attack that was supported with artillery would literally uh, have the Russians, you know, practically running. It just seems like the Russians are nearly broken with everything that you read. And um, I think any type of sizable attack at all is going to uh, really lead to some uh, good success for Ukraine. Moving away from my opinion and back to solid news uh, ground, so to speak, uh, Germany sent three more uh, multiple launch rocket system uh, vehicles to Ukraine. We had mentioned in the July 22 episode that the U.S. had sent 12 and then four more, which was 16. So Ukraine just got three more from Germany. So that, by my math, puts them at 19. So that was obviously great news for Ukraine. And then the final thing I wanted to mention about Ukraine was that uh, Russia is facing new uh, allegations of war crimes after at least 50 uh, Ukrainian prisoners were massacred in a strike. Uh, Russia says that Ukraine launched um, the uh, multiple launch rocket system, HIMARS rockets, and hit this prisoner of war camp. Of course, Ukraine says Russia's crazy, that there's no way they would have done that. They knew that there were Ukrainian prisoners there. And unfortunately, these were prisoners from the besieged steel plant in Mariupol. Um, and so there were dozens killed. NBC News said at least 50. And unfortunately, um, uh, there's really nothing good to say about it. Um, I, there, I'm linking to three different threads um, from um, various folks who they, there is video of the strike of uh, the uh, what's left after the strike. And multiple analysts have looked at it, and it seems very clear that these weren't rockets. Uh, if you look at, I've got these three threads in the source notes. They all basically say the same thing in different ways and different lengths and different photos. But they show some strikes that uh, the uh, High Mars multiple launch rocket systems have done, what the impacts look like. And then if you look at the um, prison camp that remains, you'll see that there is no impact. There's no deep craters. There's not stuff blown out. It was, um, it most most analysts believe it was a uh, thermobaric weapon um, that the Russians launched. And the Russians collected pieces of rockets from um, uh, the previously launched um, multiple launch rocket system rockets and have put them there so that it looks like the uh, Ukrainians have done it. But the funny thing is, is the Russians have tried to stage these fake attacks numerous times, and I could post so many threads on this, and they always do it so poorly, so uh, unconvincingly, and yet again, they've done that in this case. Uh, just one example of a past thing, they'll say, you know, the Ukrainians did this with a rocket or something, and they'll post 
a serial number of something they posted from like three months earlier. So they are completely unreliable time after time. And, um, but at any rate, um, you know, a lot of people are speculating the Russians didn't want to give up these prisoners in a prisoner exchange. We've talked some in the past about the defenders um, who were trying to seek freedom after surrendering and how Russia wanted to either charge them or something worse. And unfortunately, this is probably there's something worse. Um, the United Nations and others are wanting to investigate. And I feel very confident based on the threads I've seen, based on the video evidence, based on Russian past actions that the Russians did this. Um, it just absolutely makes no sense that um, Ukraine would have bombed their own prisoners. And even more crazy is that the prisoner camp, the place they were detained, it's not even that far from the lines. I believe it was about 15, kilometer, 15 kilometers. It was well within normal artillery range. The Ukrainians are very protective of their multiple launch rocket systems, and there is no way they would have fired these things as such a short-range target because they could have been destroyed by Russian artillery. The, the Ukrainians are firing 40 to 50 kilometers or more with their rockets. There's doesn't even it defies any level of common sense so i try to be as fair as possible but it's almost impossible to even speak about this without getting a little angry and even trying to do a, a, a be fair to both sides because it, it makes no sense and the russians have a very long reputation even in this war alone of lying of posting misleading video and um and and not even being competent when they do try to blame the ukrainians for something but that's in the news. We'll see more about it, I'm sure, as time passes. And uh, I feel very confident that everything I've said will be proven right. Let's move from Ukraine to some Afghanistan news and al-Qaeda news. President Biden announced that uh, the U.S. had killed um, the head of al-Qaeda, uh, Ayman Zawahiri. President Biden announced that on um Monday night, but I wanted to give a shout out to uh, fellow Marine uh, Jim Laporta, who broke the news with several other AP reporters first. Um, just giving him a shout out because I actually talked to the guy on the phone. He's a fellow Marine, and I've been in the media business. I know how hard it is to break a story that big, and the AP was the first to break it, and uh, I know he put a ton of work into that, so huge shout out for that. I'm not going to go too much into the um, Background on that, um, Zawahiri was the uh, number two guy in Al-Qaeda behind Osama bin Laden who plotted the 9-11 attacks, so this has been a long time in coming. He was uh, promoted or took over after Osama bin Laden was killed, so it was a big deal that we uh, got him, and uh, I'm sure more will come out as time passes, but uh, with everything else I'm wanting to have already covered and want to cover, I don't really have time to get into the weeds on that. I might at a later point, but if you didn't see the news, um, he was taken out, and you can find out lots about it in easily obtained news sources. So with that, we'll move on to the next topic. The final news item that um, I have time to record for this episode, uh, I wanted to discuss a um, an opinion piece in The Economist about Saudi Arabia and how to deal with despots. Um, it was a really good piece, and I just wanted to hit a few of uh, the high points and I've linked to it in our source notes. Um, but having read it, um, I kind of uh, am having a little bit of a recalculation on my uh, um, views with uh, President Biden 
visiting Saudi Arabia. I had kind of been of the view that visiting made President Biden look weak, and we all know that um, while we don't want any president to look weak, um, certainly after the um, after a few things, but um, the withdrawal from Afghanistan and uh, some other things and some of the criticism that pre- President Biden has received, uh, he certainly doesn't want to be seen as weak. So it was, to me, um, him going was a sign of weakness. But after reading the column, I've learned a little bit more about what was going on in the background and what might have caused it. Uh, for starters, I learned that uh, MBS, who is Mohammed bin uh, Salman, uh, he's going to become the leader of Saudi Arabia, but um, he's in several um, heads of departments and, and will eventually be the um, de facto. He's a de facto ruler now, and he'll eventually be the king there. But I learned from that column that uh, he had been refusing to take President Biden's calls and actually had been increasingly um, getting more aligned with China and Russia. So that was obviously a huge threat for the United States. Um, it's not good to have one of the most powerful countries in the Middle East um, building an alliance with China and Russia with everything going on. Um, a couple of other things I learned was that, you know, I, I had known that um, President Biden, when he was uh, running for election, he had called, he had pledged that he would uh, treat Saudi Arabia as a, quote, pariah. Um, but what I didn't realize was that the U.S. has a lot less power now than it did in the past. Um, the Economist pointed out that um, the West, uh, the G7 in 1991 was responsible for 66% of all global output. Today, that number's dropped to 44%. So the U.S. and the West, so to speak, those countries in the G7 that we're aligned with and that we have some control over. We don't have as much power now as we used to have. So again, it went from 66% in 1991 down to 44%, which obviously gives countries like Saudi Arabia a lot more options on who they can uh, get closer and more aligned to. And for reference, I should have mentioned that the G7 is currently composed of uh, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, and the and obviously us, the United States. And kind of continuing the, the broader point, though, obviously we need, um, Saudi Arabia does wield a strong hand with how much oil it can produce and how much it's choosing to produce. Obviously with gas prices, they've, they've, they've been on a, a, a spiral downward for the past month or so, but with fall coming, there's a lot of talk that they're going to go back up. And with the sanctions on Russia, you know, the reality is, is that when you're president, you don't get to, to um, you know, decide who you have to deal with. Sometimes that, that, that hand gets played, you know, or handed to you. And so in this situation, I think, uh, I think I agree with The Economist that I think President Biden had to go. And unfortunately, The Economist makes the point that, um, you know, the mistake was made when he said while he was uh, pledging to run that he would treat them as a pariah. And um, so then he had to back away from that. But had he not said that, he could have, you know, maybe done a Middle East trip and without building up all this drama and then without ending up looking weak. Um, So we'll see what happens now that the trip's been done. Um, Hopefully Saudi Arabia does produce some more oil. And, you know, I think all of us can agree that we don't want Saudi Arabia getting too much closer to China or uh, Russia. So maybe there'll be some results from it um, and maybe there'll be some lessons learned for anyone else who is eventually seeking higher office.
I'll uh, end this little section by saying that um, I'll quote part of what the economist wrote, which is that a uh, one of the principles is that talking is usually good. Quote: um, Some say that turning up bestows legitimacy. In reality, it generates insights, creates a chance to exert influence, and helps solve otherwise uh, unsolvable problems, such as uh, climate deals, getting grain out of Ukraine, or asking Al-Shabaab, an affiliate of Al-Qaeda, to help save Somalia from starvation, uh, end quote. So that was the uh, kind of the final point that The Economist made, and it was pretty persuasive just reading that article. So that's one of the things I like to be. I like to try to be open-minded. And, um, you know, you want to be rooted, but at the same time, you want to be open minded. And I tried to look at all views on whether President Biden should um, visit. And, um, you know, you, you, you form your opinion as best you can and um, you try to stay as informed as well as you can. So I will always be open and honest with you guys as best I can. And that's why I wanted to share that. All right. So that's been a lot of news. Let's end with some motivation and wisdom, as always. The first one comes from a Marine I follow on Twitter. He's always posting uh, positive things. Uh, he actually, I've got it linked in the source notes, but you can find him on Twitter at, at TonyTheTiger57. But he shared a great one the other day that I wanted to read. Uh, so here it is. Turn up everything. Your magic, your voice, your strength, your humor, your kindness, your gratitude, your love. thought that was a great one. Um, the next one comes from uh, Eckhart Tolle Quotes. Um, and it reads, unlike stress, enthusiasm has a high energy frequency and so resonates with the creative power of the universe. This is why Ralph Waldo Emerson said that, quote, nothing great has ever been achieved without enthusiasm, end quote. And then I'm going to share, I think, about three of them from At Success Minded. Again, all of these can be found in the source notes if you want to follow these folks on Twitter for daily motivation um, throughout the week instead of just a couple of times a week. So the first one is, quote, big things have small beginnings, end quote. That was a great one. Um, the second one is, always believe that something wonderful is about to happen. Um, and the final one is, the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit. Be patient, be humble, keep moving forward, and know that all this hard work will soon pay off. thought that was another good one. And then I'm going to share... Two from um, Zen Moments. Um, they're also on Twitter. No one really cares if you're miserable, so you might as well be happy. That's from Cynthia Nelms. And then finally is a quote from Zen Moments that they quoted Lucille uh, Ball of say, as saying, one of the things I learned the hard way was that it doesn't pay to get discouraged. So there you go. There's some motivation and wisdom to wrap up this episode. I uh, hope you guys push hard on whatever projects you're on or whatever dreams you have. Um, plant that seed get started on it, start small, and do something. Do something today. That's it for this edition. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Uh, we need to pull this country together, and that starts with all of us. I believe with every fiber of my being that we have to somehow find a way to reunify the country and that we have to stop hating those on the other side of the aisle, and we have to stop rewarding the loudest and most angry voices on either side. Uh, I'm still not sure how we do this, but uh, it certainly starts with each of us being as nice as we can to our fellow Americans. As the great Abraham Lincoln said in his uh, second inaugural address, uh, we should have malice toward none and charity for all, which in more modern language means we should feel no ill will toward anyone. Uh, 
and feel kindness toward everyone. And he said that in the middle of a civil war in which division and uh, hatred and anger was as high as it probably had ever been. Um, so if he could say it then, we can say it now. So try to hold these actions to yourself. Don't respond angrily on social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Um, you know, be as kind as you can. Let's uh, let's try to knock down some of this anger and uh, hatred that's going back and forth. Let's also try to be the small light that we all need to see from time to time. Uh, do something nice for someone today. Be kind. Um, do some small act if you can. And let's see if we can't start making a little bit of a change ourselves. Um, so thanks so much for listening, guys. If you enjoy it, please share. If uh, you're all about what we're trying to do here, I'd love it if you could throw a few bucks in and subscribe. I'd really appreciate that. And uh, that's it from here. Thanks so much.